You're listening to Voices of the Street, a podcast series brought to you by Megaphone Magazine, featuring original writing from the 2021 Voices of the Street Literary Anthology. This podcast is recorded on the traditional territories of the Coast Salish, Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Megaphone is changing the story on poverty by promoting social equity, amplifying marginalized voices, and creating meaningful work. You can purchase a copy of the anthology from your local Megaphone vendor. And for more information, visit megaphonemagazine.com. These stories may deal with difficult topics. Please see the show notes for more information about the topics in this podcast. There are places to reach out for support. I feel so, so very small as I try and figure out where I've fallen off track. I sold my soul to the devil and then I stole it back. In the end, a dope fiend has got no friends and a junkie is a junkie till the bitter end. I tie myself off and shoot it in my veins. I have just hidden in another day's pain. I find my mother's comfort here in a needle and spoon. Christmas is no fun, waiting for good times that seem to never come. Tired of the detox, the weird spaces in my mind. Tired of the misery, tired of doing time. There's no need to figure it out. I know where I'd fallen off track. I sold my soul to the devil and then I stole it back. The day I wrote this, I was high alone in a room shooting crystal meth into my arms. I felt alone and isolated. I was in the incredible depths of addiction and had given up all hope that life was even worth living anymore. I was on an extreme path to self-destruction. I wrote in a journal I had. It was the only place I could get out what was going on in my head. I'd been downtown for six years and had lost everything. I'd given up my children and felt hopeless. Even though that decision was because I wanted to give them a life, I just couldn't give them. I wanted my girls to be raised with a mother and a father. Most of you would say that choice I made was selfless. However, I did not see it like that. I blamed myself for a very long time for not being able to be a mom well enough to care for them. A mom who chose the life of addiction rather than her children. 
1988, my biological mother was pushed to her death from a fourth-story window at the Balmoral Hotel. My mom died when she was 38. This past year, I turned 38. It's hard to imagine I outlived her. This past year was also the first year I felt I could honor my biological mother and be able to forgive her, as well as myself for blaming her for giving me away. I thought all my life that she didn't love me. I now know that being a mother and wanting what's best for your child is the most important thing. On the anniversary of her death, I went and put flowers at the Balmoral. Although I might not be able to tell her I love her in person, I know she hears me. My adopted mother is the only mother I've ever known and loved. At the time of my journal writing, we weren't talking. I took it as though she didn't love me anymore and I began to question if she ever did. What I didn't realize was it was so hard for her to be so powerless over my addiction that she had to let me do whatever I was doing and just pray that I was okay. Today I know these thoughts weren't true and my mom has always loved me. She's loved me even before she got to meet me. She explained to me she just couldn't watch her daughter self-destruct and kill herself. She once also told me she would sometimes rather have me in, in an urn on her mantle. At least that way she would know what had happened to me and she would know exactly where I was. I can't imagine all the pain I caused her. All the nights she stayed awake worrying about me. I missed her so much, but it was hard for me to admit that I couldn't stop doing drugs and my life was pretty shitty. So I just did what I was doing. I got high day after day and those days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months and months turned into years. Before I knew it, six years of constantly shooting meth into my arms had come and gone. I have always had this feeling that resonates in my soul that I do not belong anywhere. I feel like I didn't belong in my adopted family. They didn't ask to have a child with the problems that I came with. I had a hard time fitting in at school and I didn't feel like I had a purpose. And I was probably better off just not being here. Kids can be so mean. Growing up and going to school was not fun. I was teased a lot about the fact that I was adopted or that my parents were white and I was indigenous. Never did my mom know about this until this one time. When I was in grade school, I cut off all my eyelashes because some kids made fun of me for having long lashes. They said, you have Indian eyes. I took that comment as having Indian eyes was a bad thing and hated being made fun of. So I went into the bathroom and cut off my lashes. It wasn't until later that afternoon when my mom and I were sitting in a food court at the mall that she noticed and asked, Eva, what have you done to your eyelashes? I began to cry and I told her what was said to me at school and that I was sorry. I did not want her to be mad at me. She just hugged me and said, oh, Eva, you have beautiful eyelashes. That was Eva Takanahu reading from My Mother's Comfort. Welcome, my friends, to a very special Indigenous Honor Healing and Empowerment episode of Voices of the Street, the podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Essential, and before I begin, I'd first like to express my deepest sympathies and prayers to the many families of the children being discovered in our darkest shadows. 
whose immensely important lesson will now be learned through tragedy yet again. Canada must do the right thing to honour their spirits and raise up their family survivors as the stolen remains scattered across my broken heart and restless dreams. Know that we are here tonight to support that process with the strength of story. Now I'd like to introduce you to an exceptionally talented friend of mine, Miss Eva Tkanyu. How are you doing tonight, their own friend? Oops, I mean brave new colleague. Oh, I'm good. <laughs> good to hear. So I guess I'll just jump right in the first question, which would be uh, thinking back to the journal you speak about in your contribution to this year's Voice of the Street Anthology, a kind of memoir to your mother, of your mother, sorry. What has the experience been like for you to become a published writer over these years? The experience to become a published writer? Well, honestly, when I first wrote the story that has been published, I didn't like it. So I was like kind of taken back that it was being published. So I don't know. It's been good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. What do you mean by you didn't you didn't like it? What was it you didn't like? I don't know. It? I just was like I didn't think it was a very good story. <laughs> And I was like, well, I, do I, should I add more to it? And then the editor's like, no, it's good, just like that. I'm like, yeah. okay. Was it longer at first? No, it wasn't. It was it was kind of short. It was just it was exactly the way it was. Yeah, it's a very touching piece. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, the response I've gotten from that story is yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. What was it that sort of brought you to honor your mother as, as well as forgive her, I guess, is how you explain it in the story? Mm, well, because all my life I've always wondered whether my mom actually cared about me or not, right? And I mean, for any adoptee, I think that's something that we all think about. Like, why were we given away or why were we not loved enough that they didn't want us? You know what I mean? So in the last three years, I've learned about my whole family and where I've come from and being adopted. And really, it wasn't her fault, right? So I was taken from her because of her drug and alcohol addiction and where we lived. And... um I just think that it's really not her fault and that I needed to tell her that. And now that I knew where she was or what happened to her. A bit of backstory here. Uh, Eve and I have known each other almost 18 years, like I said, and we're both adoptees in the, uh, the 60s scoop, they call it, this era of adoption of Native kids into non-Indigenous families. And then we both sort of ended up here in Vancouver, both of us in the street scene years ago, homeless and whatnot. And uh, now here we are, you know, a decade and a half later, we're both writing for Megaphone and doing podcasts. So uh, she's an amazing success story and it's an honor to interview you today. And I just was wondering if you'd like to talk about maybe your school experience. Sure. What that was like for you going back to school. Well, I've always been a person that needs to do something starting September for some reason. So the whole slanging downtown, doing what I was doing, it just got old really quickly this past time. And um, September was coming up and I was like, I'm going to go back to school. So I just did. I just did what I was going to do. And I just went back to school. But it's been pretty amazing, actually. I went to um, Native Ed in Vancouver and I found a lot of, about my family. Actually, I found out who I was and where I came from and my family and yeah, it's been quite the experience. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like you and I have so much in common. That's why I kind of wanted to interview you. Was, uh, I went to the same school, NEC too, and, and did the semester there. And I finished really well because the environment. Uh, how did you find that being around Native people in the school environment? Yeah. Well, education's power, right? <laughs> I believe. Anyways, 
Well, I've been learning that more and more because <laughs> like we have a lot of stigma attached to just being native, right? There's a lot of stigma attached to that. So, I mean, education, if you can get educated, I think that it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And we're actually pretty smart if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That school is amazing. <laughs> I'm not as stupid as I thought it was. No. Yeah. The teachers are, are amazing there. You finished the whole program, eh? The yeah, I just graduated. Family and counseling. A couple weeks ago. Yeah. Diploma? Oh, good for you. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm planning to take the Indigenous Justice Program next. Yeah. I'm very proud of you for that. I'm sure your mother would be too. Anyway, I was wondering about your thoughts on what's been going on with the uncovering of these mass graves across Canada. How you feel about that? Well, I mean, it's something that I think that we've always known that it's happening. And it's always been said by our people that it happened. And I mean, now that it's unfolding, I think that the Catholic churches are pretty much going to have to pay for what they did, I think. You know what I mean? And yeah. And it's, I mean, it's very, very sad. We're coming into the seventh generation, which is you and I, and we're able to change that, I believe. Yeah. And what she's talking about is there's a prophecy in Native culture that talks about seven generations after Columbus landed 500 years ago. That there would be a resurgence in our culture, kind of led by young people. We would reclaim our place in society as, as the original stewardess of the land and sort of lead, you know, lead an example for the next generation. And that's happening all across the land. And Eve is an excellent example for that. Yeah, but we all still lost our culture. Yeah, we lost our culture. We lost exactly who, what really makes us, what's, what goes through our blood, right? We're, we're Native. We're Indigenous people. So how is that even fair? I know. The way money works, it doesn't it doesn't jive, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we were we were fine before you guys came here. Yeah, yeah. You know for 10,000 10, like, years, we were yeah. fine without money. At <laughs> yeah, all. like, we dealt with things just, just fine. Yeah. You know? Well, there was no such thing as jail and institutions and yeah. death, really. Yeah. I mean, there was, but, you know what I mean? And the compensation doesn't bring back my mother either, right? Exactly. We have our, our spirit, right, as a people. And I think uh, that's that's being honored by Canada now. September 30th has been recognized now as Reconciliation Day. Uh, it'll be a stat holiday. What is reconciliation? Right? Uh, can they really reconcile with us? Exactly. I mean, they exactly. weren't the truth part of it in the reconciliation process. They weren't. They didn't mention anything about the mass graves yet. And they're like, now it's getting uncovered. And they're like, oh yeah, that. Right. Truth or nothing, but the truth needs to be told. Yeah. That's the first step to reconciliation. Will they ever tell the truth? They're paying to keep it quiet and deny the genocide that's going on, right? Canada was just rated last in a list of 11 countries in their healthcare systems. Canada rated last. And that's because, in part because of the racism against natives and people. But uh, it's up to us. I can't wait to see what you write in the future. And it's been great working with you and watching you grow over the years. Thank you. Super proud of you. And this is Voice of the Street. We'd like to thank Megaphone and uh, all the other good people involved in this project. Have a good night. This series was produced with support from the City of Vancouver, BC Arts Council, SFU's Community Engagement Initiative, and SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement. This podcast was developed through a mentorship program led by Helena Krobath. Special thanks to the storytellers and the voices of the street writers, the supporting mentors, and the audio production team. Please see the show notes for more information about the topics in this podcast. There are places to reach out for support.
Our theme song was created by John Brennan with extra music and sound effects by John Brennan and Helena Crobath. This episode also features flute music by Paul Chiokden Wagner. You can find more information about his music in the show notes. Sound engineering, editing, mixing, and mastering by Paige Smith, Virella Pinillos, and Kathy Bang. On behalf of the participants of the Megaphone Podcasting Pilot Project, I would like to give thanks to our executive director, Julia Aoki, both the board of directors and all the hardworking vendors out there keeping our organization alive. Thank you.